hello, Angela. Hello, Marion. How are you? I'm good. This is super exciting. It really is. It's our first Amplify Nursing event on Twitter. It is. Um, and I'm really excited to talk with our guest, Dr. Allison Hernandez, who was a guest on podcast uh, of season two, which holy moly, time flies, as well as Dr. Melissa Bachelor. Uh, Melissa, you're listed on our screen as a listener, so I don't think you're going to be able to talk. Um, I did send you an invite to be a speaker, so if you can look for that invite and switch over to speaker, that'd be great. Um, so just some quick intros for our guests. Dr. Hernandez is a former 2019-2020 Health and Aging Policy Fellow turned Hill staffer who worked with Representative Donna Shalala. Dr. Hernandez is now a policy advisor for the U.S. Senate, which is super impressive. And we're also going to be talking with Dr. Melissa Batchelor, who is a scientist, author, and speaker, who is also a health and aging policy fellow from 2018 to 2019, serving on the United States Senate Special Committee on Aging. She also hosts a weekly podcast called this is Getting Old, Moving Towards an Age-Friendly World, and is also a co-author on a book just published by Slack Incorporated titled Social Media in Healthcare, A Guide to Creating Your Professional Digital Presence. Uh, so welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yep. Thank you. Cool. So Angela, I think you're up. Okay, so we're really happy to have you on, and why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into nursing and where you are now. So, Dr. Hernandez, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, so, sort of the, the elevator uh, speech on that is that uh, I'm a second career nurse, so um, I came to nursing post-bachelor degree, and um, I uh, worked in a clinical capacity in, in a medical surgical nursing um, for a few years before turning um, or choosing to go down the PhD route. So I got my PhD um, a few years ago, and it was during that time that um, I got um, really interested in policy. I hadn't really ever thought about policy. Um, I really didn't have any practical experience in it, but um, I saw or was inspired by professors past who had taken some of their research and influenced local uh, legislation. Um, so fast forward to finishing my doctorate studies, I wanted um, to get a get more experience in policymaking. And so I um, applied to uh, the health and aging um, fellowship, uh, which is where I met Melissa as well. She was a fellow before me. And um, I got to have a uh, all hands on deck experience uh, learning about how policy gets made. Um, and that's when I was in the office of uh, Congresswoman Donna Shalala. And that experience changed my life and wanted and motivated me to want to stay uh, in policy forever more, or at least for now. And uh, that is my current role today. I am um, a uh, policy advisor on the Senate side, and I work on a bunch of different issues from uh, the social determinants of health to more healthcare policy, aging policy, and disability. And um, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you all today. Great. And Melissa, do you want to introduce yourself? 
Sure. Um, so I'm Melissa Batchelor, and I'm a, I was a traditional nursing student. So started uh, college with my uh, and earned my bachelor's degree at the University of North Carolina Wilmington. And my mantra then was, I don't care what I do, but I'm never going to work with older adults, and I'm never going to work in the nursing home. And then my mom called about a month before graduation and said, hey, I've met a local administrator um, at a nursing home. Would she like to give you a job? And I was like, okay, sold. And so did that full time for two years and then went back to school to become a family nurse practitioner. And the only time I really got jazzed up uh, was if we were talking about older adults and older healthcare policy or healthcare policy related to older adults. So I decided to stay in geriatrics and then moved in to become an educator to reach and teach nursing students at the beginning of their career and really teach them best practices and evidence-based practice for caring for older adults. Uh, so my program of research now is around helping older adults with Alzheimer's disease to eat more food by teaching their caregivers to use different hand feeding techniques. Through um, kind of my pre and postdoc experiences, uh, was exposed to the Health and Aging Policy Fellowship Program. I watched it for 10 years, and then finally it was my turn to participate, which is how I met um, Allison. And through that, also developed um, an interest in how we can use social media to amplify our voices, which we are doing tonight. So thank you guys uh, for inviting me to join you on this Twitter space chat this evening. Yes, super excited. So, you know, the title of this conversation is really about the critical need for nurses to be more civically engaged. And I couldn't be more excited to talk with you both about this topic because I really feel like there has never been a more critical time for nurses to be engaged in this way. Um, and when nurses are engaged, we have a safer, healthy, and healthier and more equitable uh, community. And really, who doesn't want that? So I'd like to talk more about why you both felt so compelled as nurses to apply for the Health and Aging Policy Fellowship and what that work was all about. So, um, Allison, why don't we start with you? Can you talk a little bit more about what drew you to policy and specifically the work you did with the health and aging policy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, um, uh, so I came to the health and aging policy fellowship in uh, 2020. So I'm a pandemic fellow and, um, and what, like I said, what drew me before is that I was in my PhD studies and I didn't, I knew I didn't want to pursue an academic career, um, but I was asking, but what else, you know, what else um, am I going to do? Um, you know, I, I have some clinical experience. I have some research experience. Um, and so policy uh, became uh, from that inspirational point of seeing nurses and nurse researchers and clinicians take their work and translate it to uh, actionable uh, policy change was really inspiring. But not so much from the perspective in my case of having like evidence that I wanted to translate, but more so learning how to do it and how to help people with great ideas do it. So um, I think I'm a, more of an implementer uh, at heart. And so um, that was really the motivation of, of wanting to seek a postdoc opportunity that would give me that experience and policy, um, you know, um, part of policy is about, you know, getting things done and, and translating things to the real world. So um, I applied to the Health and Aging Policy Fellowship. I got in. Um, I will say I had a different trajectory to Melissa. The first year of my fellowship, I did a two-year. Uh, the first year was actually funded um, through a grant at Northwestern University where I got to do uh, more health services research. So 
understanding and researching how we deliver healthcare. And so I took health policy courses for the first time and health economics courses. And um, I knew I just, I just really, really enjoyed it. And um, I felt like I was in the really right place. And then that second year as a health and aging fellow, um, I got to come to DC and then get that hands-on experience working in an office uh, on Capitol Hill and you know, starting the process of understanding how, uh, as we say, the sausage gets made, right? What, what goes into producing and influencing legislation and how, how, do, how do things move through the legislative process? Um, and then really um, overall, um, even though now it's been a few years, I'm going on three years being uh, doing that work, I, I have to say that the intention and the motivation is still the same. Um, I am interested in connecting the dots between how people with great ideas, whether you're a researcher, a clinician, uh, or, or a subject matter expert can be influential to the policy conversation and what that looks like. Um, so, so that's, that's still at the root of everything uh, that I find interesting and, and continue to. And so that's why a conversation like today is, is really special. And I guess I can chime in. Um, so in 2011, um, there was, it was the first time legislation was passed to develop a national Alzheimer's plan. And Barack Obama actually signed that into law. And it was actually the first semester I was teaching health policy um, while I was in my doctoral program. And that it was the first time in our country that we had recognized that Alzheimer's disease needed to have a national plan. And then the actual development of that was left up to the states. And then each state was doing that differently. So from my perspective, I was kind of all about all things Alzheimer's. And when I looked at the Health and Aging Policy Fellowship, um, I wanted to do, a, I wanted to have a legislative experience. And so that meant um, I ended up finding a placement on the Special Committee for Aging and Senator Susan Collins' office, who's been a huge advocate for Alzheimer's disease um, from like the mid 90s. And it was really interesting watching how the people in her staff and on this committee kind of put hearings together, where they got their information, um, you know, how, like, like Allison said, how all the, how the sausage was made. Um, and during that experience, um, one of the things that I love to do the most was help to write some of the speeches uh, for Senator Collins. And at that time um, was able to kind of put words in her speeches like Twitter sphere and the Alzheimer's Association had created a hashtag for legislation that she had introduced, which was the Bold Alzheimer's Act, which was actually signed into law on New Year's Eve at the end of 2018 by President Trump. And um, I actually had a conversation today with um, trying to put together a podcast in the next couple of weeks where we're going to talk to Maryland, Virginia, and DC about their um, experience with developing a statewide plan and implementing one. And then how do we educate the public and where does the Bold Alzheimer's Act fit into that? So I think one of the biggest things the Policy Fellowship gave probably Alice and I both was a network of people that I could work with. And then the podcast has given me the platform um, to be able to amplify my voice and others um, in this space. In fact, Allison has, I think, four or five podcasts with me, um, three of which um, are available now that talk about um, how to interact with policymakers, how policy is made, and like the legislative um, process. So I hope that people will check those out also. Yeah, Melissa, I think that's fantastic that you and Allison are both doing that. 
I think it's so important for nurses to engage. And I think part of the reason that they don't is that they're, um, you know, we, we only want to do things that we're really good at. Nobody's good at it because we don't understand it. We don't know what's going on. So we leave it to everybody else. And then, unfortunately, policy gets made without us. So can you talk a little bit about how you feel like having nurses involved in policy affects the trajectory of policy? Which uh, me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would say one of the biggest things to me was like the, the fellowship gave me kind of the opportunity to get over the intimidation factor. You know, I mean, I think it's intimidating to go to Chapel Hill, I mean, to Capitol Hill. I, I was, what was in my mind was when I first started at Duke University, that was also intimidating and trying to navigate myself um, around that um, experience. So yeah, anytime something's new to you, it is kind of uncomfortable but it's almost like the more you expose yourself to it, the more you listen, the more you talk to people, you're like, oh, this really isn't that difficult. And one of the things that I did learn through my experience was how much policymakers need our stories. So like I teach a health policy course. I teach my students how to navigate congress.gov, how to find a piece of legislation that's of interest to them, figure out where it is in the policymaking process, and then begin to talk to them about how do you develop and use your influence and get your stories into the hands of the people that represent you um, at, at the federal and the state level, really. And you know, that those are the stories that policymakers need. It was amazing to me the number of stories that would be repeated um, from just you know, as a nurse, you might interact with a staff member, um, really any discipline that interacts with a staff member on Capitol Hill. Those stories do get retold and they actually do help move things along and then also talk teaching people how to use social media to to also influence that just like the alzheimer how do you partner with advocacy and professional organizations to raise awareness and to help bring all of us along i mean there are four million nurses in this country we are the largest um, sector of healthcare, and our voices matter and if we were to to band together and um and to advocate for some of this legislation, I think that things, we would be able to get a lot of attention. Yeah, I, yeah, I would add, and I was just going to, sorry, Marianne, uh, add to that, that, um, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, it is intimidating, and it certainly was when I started as a fellow. I actually never, even when I came to D.C. as a health and aging fellow, I wasn't, um, sure that I would do a placement fellowship on the Hill because I was very intimidated. I thought I couldn't do it. I was not going to be good at it. But on the practical sense, I realized that a lot of my nursing skills, and I, I've often uh, shared this with Melissa, um, translated really well to the job. Um, you know, uh, the, the work team-based, um, being cooperative and team-based, being a critical thinker, working under a lot of stress, making quick decisions, um, being good at communicating and being um, also simple in the way you communicate and getting to the point. And I mean, central to all nursing practice, right? Being an advocate, um, you know, that's, that's sort of whether it's, you know, I hate to say it's natural, but whether it's learned or natural, that's a central skill um, that nurses uh, possess. And so, all of that translated uh, very easily to the work that I was doing. Um, 
And like Melissa said, the story, right? Being closest to patients, um, putting together that bigger picture, that puzzle of, of what is the unique human experience, who better than nurses, right? Um, to, to be a, a, a sort of a convoy of stories uh, to be able to bring forward. And so um, I, I really I really felt that as soon as uh, I started working on the Hill and, and, and just connecting with other policy uh, makers is that um, our voices were are quite appreciated and and it's it's they were always very appreciative of having someone with the subject matter expertise or the lived experience expertise I should say of of having worked in a different environment and so um, uh, I I would say that it became very quickly not not intimidating um, uh, just because um, everyone is is trying to work in concert towards towards a um, a certain cause so. Um, when, when in doubt, just remember you're already possessed the skills uh, by the sheer fact that you're, you're working as a nurse in any one capacity <laughs> or many. I love that so much. Like, the parallels that you just identified between nursing and the policy work that you're doing, it just goes to show how versatile a degree and the skills and knowledge nursing is and um, that it can really permeate throughout so many different positions. So I just want to make one note to everybody who's listening. Um, you can ask questions um, to our guests. So we'll be opening that up shortly. So if you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, um, you can request to speak using the icon below the microphone icon button and we'll bring you on stage. So if you'd like to ask a question, just click that and uh, we can bring you on in a few minutes. Um, Angela, do you have a question you want to ask or should I jump into some others? Um, you can go ahead and jump into some others. So I want to talk a little bit more, Melissa, you talked about social media um, and you're a super user of social media. So can you um, just talk with us a little bit about the outreach that you do on those platforms and why you use them and really why they hold so much power for nurses and sort of amplifying the voices of nurses? Right. So, um, so I started this journey back in like 2005 uh, when I was a brand new educator and was you know, really looking for resources to help me learn how to do that particular part of, of what I do now and attended a conference that was a traditional conference. It was called the Geriatric Nursing Education Consortium um, Conference, and it was traditional, held over three years, you know, in six different locations around the U.S., and when I sat there, it was really difficult. I mean, the, the presenters were so great. I was like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to to be this much of a content expert and this much of an educator expert. I wish I could bottle these people up and take them home. And so I pitched the idea to turn those nine modules into podcasts, and we did those. And there were a couple of different formats that I did with that. Um, but it was just an idea I had because I really wanted to put those speakers in a bottle. And I thought, well, we could record this and put it out there in the world. And so that traditional conference trained 818 faculty, all 50 states and in three countries. And over the next five years, the podcasts were accessed over 60,000 times in over 40 countries. And that type of, and that was just from the NYU website. I have no idea what happened in iTunes because at that time we didn't know how to to access those analytics. 
So it really showed me the power of using technology. Um, there are not a lot of geri geriatric prepared um, nurses or physicians in this country. Out of 4 million nurses, about 1 to 2% are board certified in gerontological nursing. Out of a million physicians, about 6,400 are geriatricians. And so there's a real need when you look at the, the, the shift in demographics for people to have um, access to, you know, to education about what normal aging is and you know, how to deal with issues as family caregivers. So that was really what kind of started the trajectory back in 2010 to 2015. And then the more I kind of did and experimented and played around, it kind of led to what I'm doing now, uh, which is I'm in my second year. I think I'm on my 113th episode. Um, and it's, it's, you'll, if you watch the introduction, I say, I'm not really sure where this is going to go. So thank you for coming along with me on this journey. And so what it has become over the past few years is a conversation around ageism, how to promote age-friendly initiatives, which, because when things are age-friendly, they're friendly for everyone. So it's a lifespan approach. It's been a way to amplify the voice of professional nursing and a chance for me to talk about Alzheimer's disease. And then through the analytics, you can see your target, like you can see who your audience really is. And for me, it's mostly women over 65. Um, I hear anecdotally, um, I was on Diana Mason's radio show last week with Mona talking about um, the book. And she was saying that somebody, a faculty member at her university walked past her and was like, oh, like my dad listens to Melissa's podcast and, you know, the stuff that she's doing has been helpful. So to me, it was just a way to get accurate health information out there to the public. It was a way for me to translate my science and then it's a platform to teach people beyond the four walls of any university that I happen to be working in at the time. And so that's, and through, through doing that, the social media outlets are, are part of that because you can release micro content for people who might not know, like the whole episode came out um, that they may find it on a different platform and then go to watch um, the full episode, much like what you're doing um, here now. And I have to say, you guys are ahead of me with this whole Twitter space thing. I've done Clubhouse, but I want to give you guys props for hosting this um, Twitter space chat tonight. And uh, I think that's awesome. Cool. Thanks. So I want to learn, I want folks to hear a little bit more about your book also. Like, so Social Media and Healthcare, a Guide to Creating Your Professional Digital Presence. Can you sort of talk us through what that's like to create a professional presence as nurses? on social media? Right. So I think that um, most people have some familiarity with using at least one platform of social media personally. And that's a very different um, endeavor than using it professionally. Um, through my pre and postdoc training with the Hartford Foundation, they had us create a Twitter account and they were like, you need to be on Twitter. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do on Twitter. And there are a lot of, what the book does is it says to you, like, what I'm doing now, I didn't start here. Like I started, I didn't like, I set this professional goal. I'm going to learn how to do a tweet because I don't even understand these tweets, these hashtags and handles. It's like hieroglyphics. I have no, but I understood Facebook. So, um, so the first level is just to become a consumer that you just kind of get on to social media. You look to see what's going on. And then at some point you can join the conversation and move into becoming a contributor. 
And then from there, you can move into creating um, things, whether that is a um, like an, a reel or tick, reels and TikToks are like my latest thing that I'm trying to learn how to do. But that you don't have you don't have to be an expert right out the gate. But to think about how you want to brand yourself professionally, how you can use social media to grow your professional um, network. So for our PhD students, I talked to them about when you're reading um, a, an article, you know, try to find that personal social media so that you can, you know, follow them and, and at some point maybe even connect with them at a professional conference and then they get up on your dissertation committee. Um, I actually, uh, Diana Mason posted on her Facebook account that they were doing another um, another edition of the, their health policy textbook. And I said, I hope you'll put all the Twitter handles of your authors in there um, because it's a way to bring health policy to life for students where uh, here's your assigned reading. And in addition to the author names and other credentials, I'm going to tell you how to find them on social media. Um, so I think that helps bring policy to life. It also helps them build their own professional network. Um, so those are just kind of some of the highlights um, of the book. Yeah, Allison, what about you? Like, how do you either use social media to help advance policy and or, you know, what are your thoughts on nurses being on social media to help amplify their voice? Yeah, no, I um. Uh, first of all, I would love an assigned copy of the book, Melissa. So maybe one day we can uh, do that. Because it sounds Absolutely. super great and very practical. Um, and, and much like, um, you know, I, I, uh, I would consider myself a moderate social media user in the sense that um, I consume more of it than, than I put out um, any, any content. But I think um, when used correctly and with intention, uh, and with focus, the way Melissa does, I think it can be such a great platform, like she said, to connect with the folks that are, uh, you know, like-minded or not, but also have and create network and conversation around topics that matter. I actually often, uh, when I talk to nursing students, for example, about how to get more in the know with policy, I often point them to Twitter because I say, you know, a lot if not most, I would think all of your representatives and senators are on some sort of uh, social media platform. And they're either, you know, tweeting or Instagramming or Facebooking. And it's a great way to, in sound bites, uh, get a glimpse into what's going on um, federally or statewide or, or you know, what, what, what bill are, are folks voting on today. And so it, I find that it's a really easy to digest sort of get in the habit of being in the know way uh, when you you direct people to, um, you know, following uh, those who represent them both federally and statewide, um, um, you know, as a learning exercise. Uh, But from then on, you know, I I personally have been able to forge a lot of great professional connections on Twitter. And um, not only is it a great way to put out what what you want to share, but it's also a great way to um, elevate others. I think that's, that's something that um, Melissa does really well. And and other people like, like you, Marianne, that you, you really like highlight other nurses that are doing great, you know, work or innovative work. And, and um, I really enjoy that about, about social media, you get to connect the dots with who else is in the space that I could connect with, but also who else can I elevate and, and uh, really highlight 
Um, so I think it's great. It's a tool I need to learn and refine more, but um, when done well and with intention, it can really, really be a, a way to gain information and also share information. I think that, yeah, I, I would agree with all of those things. I think it's really, it's really amazing what we can do with social media and how we can engage people. What are um, some of the things that you see as challenges to that with, in terms of nursing? Either of you can chime in. Um, well, I can, I can start. It's very, I, I can tell you. When I first started the podcast, um, it was right as the pandemic was starting and they were talking about all the signs and symptoms, you know, people having a fever and these types of things. And I was like, but older adults don't get fevers. So there's still different considerations for the most, I mean, the people that are at most high risk um, aren't going to present with a fever because older adults don't do that. And I remember sitting down to, to do that episode and I was like, I don't know if I can do it, like, because... It's one thing to interview someone. It's another thing for me to put myself out there and like say, hey, you know, I've been a nurse practitioner in geriatrics, you know, for 20 years. But let me just tell you that older adults don't present the same way. It's called atypical presentation of illness. It took a, I, like I really had to sit there and muster my uh, bravery. <laughs> and then after I kind of, after I did that and I did a couple of other ones, I mean, it got easier for me, but I do think that uh, oftentimes people shy away from speaking up uh, because they're afraid someone's going to, you know, say something mean or hateful or be like a hater or a troller um, towards what you've posted. And I've had some of that. I mean, people pick on petty stuff, you know, the background and, you know, uh, me stuttering or whatever. And it's like, well, at, this, at the end of the day, I just have to be okay with myself. And the fact that I do think the only reason I'm doing this is to do good in the world and to amplify what nurses are doing in the world. And I think we're doing a lot of great stuff. And a lot of people don't understand our profession, you know, other than thinking that's just at the bedside and nurses can do so much more that you just have to kind of take the good with the bad. And um, so that would be kind of my thoughts about that. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, Melissa, I wanted to, maybe you can comment on this. Um, I, you know, the pandemic was a perfect experience that, uh, or example, sorry, that there um, is a chance, not only in, a, in times of pandemic, but outside of uh, sharing a lot of uh, misinformation. And so um, I don't know if your book touches on this, but um, I think also teaching people like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility is that, you know, you can trust but verify and uh, making sure that folks um, um, that are, are, you know, sharing things through social media, whether it's in, in an output or in the consuming and then sharing it, um, you know, are actually um, have the tools too, to understand that, you know, information needs to be verified and that, you know, it's, it's very powerful to create a chain of energy around a piece of information that can in a click go to a thousand different places. So um, I think that that's, that's something um, to also teach, I guess, is, is that responsible consumption of, of information um, of what, what you, you read and see on these platforms. 
Right. I think that chapter is called staying out of hot water (laughs) Um, to make sure that, you know, like if it's not within my area of expertise, you know, or I haven't read it, read the original source of information myself, um, then I'm not going to put it out there. And, you know, I think that nurses need to, you know, continue to, to strive towards, um, going back to school and and getting more information or or getting more education and knowledge about how to read and assess science um, and how to understand policy um, as they move forward um, with contributing to the conversation and then creating new content. So this is a really interesting conversation. I want to invite any of our listeners if anybody has a question to, again, please come online. We can bring you on stage and you can make a comment or ask a question. And guess what? We can't bite you because <laughs> we're not all together except virtually. So this will be a good chance for someone to practice being brave if you, if you have a question. Yes. It's, and there are no hope- wrong questions. <laughs> And while we're waiting, Allison, you should um, talk about your new venture with your blog. Uh, yeah, I have that on pause for now, but I will uh, <laughs> I will definitely uh, circle back in time. Hopefully, Marianne will do another another one of these and invite me back and <laughs> we can discuss the 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 hopeful uh, platform that i'm I'm looking to build similar to Melissa and helping educate. Um, nurses on on civic engagement and, and understanding how uh, policy gets made and how to be responsible influencers of, of that process or effective, I should say, uh, responsible too, but uh, effective. Cool. So we have Kathy who would like to ask a question or make a comment. Hey, Kathy, thanks for uh, joining. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having this. Um, I don't know, know how to say that. It's not a podcast, but this uh, event tonight, it's... Um, you know, promoting civic engagement in nursing is something that I've worked with with Nurses Take DC for several years, trying to get nurses, um, you know, educated, empowered, and active with contacting um, their legislators to advocate for what we represent as Nurses Take DC, which um, and what we support, which is for the safe staffing ratios. And I have found that just it, it's very difficult to to get the nurses to actually take the physical action. Um, so do you, you have any, um, words of wisdom, I guess, so to say, and on how to get nurses to actually be active with it? Um, because everybody seems to, to very much talk a good game, so to say. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, making the changes that we need, it, it does require us as nurses to actually do the boring, some, for most people, it's boring. If we're for us, we might like it, but for most people, it's boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the hard work, you know, is what I like to call it. It's the hard work and getting the grit and getting that done. So I'm just looking for any, um, looking for your opinions on that. Kathy, I have a follow-up question. Thank you so much for, for being brave and, and coming online and asking your question. And thank you for the work that you do. Um, that's really exciting. Um, I Do you mean, um, when you say engage uh or them like actually taking action do you mean like actually like showing up to vote or or 
advocating, um, um, you know, on, you know, the hill or, or other hills around the country? No, I mean, not so much as voting, although that is super important. It is super important. And, and you know, it, absolutely. But I mean, of just taking action by contacting their congressional members um, to, to re, you know, basically, as nurses, if we go as, as a group, we're kind of like the lobby, even though we're not lobbyists. But if, when we go in groups, even if you go with, you know, your professional nursing organizations or if you go with your unions, you're basically going there in a way to lobby your legislators um, to get them to support the bills that you want them to support. And I find that it's just getting nurses to even write the letters or send a tweet even can be very challenging. And it's a challenge that I would like to navigate around. <laughs> um, so I'm just kind of looking for uh, some opinions of those who have more experience than myself um, and how, what your opinion is on that. Right. No, thank you for clarifying. Um, and yes, voting is, is very important. And I, I will let, you know, Melissa chime in as well as give her thoughts on maybe sort of the tweet, the tweeting and social media piece to it, because um, she she has um, that expertise and sort of um, has, you know, more experience with that. But sort of on the showing up for 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 like writing and connecting and being more engaged, um, you know, I think at, at very at the baseline is is I always when I talk to nurses who want to be more engaged I I try to also talk them down from this uh, it's all or nothing approach because um, it's being an influencer and active active and wanting to engage with policymakers uh, takes time and and especially if if you work in this space you know that it's very relationship based so um, a one touch with a random staffer on one day um, is great and it feels really great but the the secret sauce of it all is to be able to continuously right engage with with your members of congress and and with their staff and 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 create that sort of symbiotic relationship of like hey i'm a nurse i have these expertise i'm your constituent like you know lean on me if 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 you want me to participate in something or or, or be a subject matter uh, expert on on something else so um but but if that even that seems like too much because that does take time i do think um you know doing advocacy through groups that represent a, a professional interest or just a general social interest um um, can be a really um, great way to sort of start peeling the onion of of being engaged. I think if you do a hill day once and you get that taste, um, then you 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 get a little more confident about like what the process looks like and who are the the folks that that you're going to be talking to and connecting with, and and you're doing it as a group. So so um, it takes away sort of like the I'm just doing it by myself sort of thing. But another thing I like to always, and I think this is just information to share with people is, um, you know, organizations will often have like, you know, text your member of Congress and fill in this. It really has a pre-filled script that you can edit if you want. Uh, I mean, that's a very easy way to, to you know, quickly click on something and, and send it along. Um, but really just telling people how easy it is, right? You literally go on a website and click, you know, submit a message and you can uh, write and a, a human on the receiving end will respond to your message or at least should. 
Um, and so um, there's really, there's really, uh, I mean, calling has become a little obsolete, although people still call other members of Congress. Um, but just starting with that very easy exercise of, of being like, lots of people do it, it's Googleable. Um, it doesn't require having a connection to an office or having done before. And that reminder that, you know, it is our vote that puts people in office. Um, so we have to work at keeping people accountable and uh, accounting ourselves to and, and, and what we contribute to the greater conversation, I think is really important. And going back to like, it doesn't have to necessarily be about, you know, nursing related policy, it can be any policy that, um, that uh, nurse is interested in. And so um, I, I think, I think that's where I would start is, is sort of the group approach. Um, and then, um, and then working the confidence up from there or, or seeing the, the importance of it from there. But Melissa, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I was just going to add that I think a lot of times nurses or anyone might say, well, what's the point of sending an email? I'm one person. But what happens is when, when people send emails about a certain topic, they are tabulated. I mean, because the people that are in office are there because they were elected. And you always have to make sure that you're putting the right mail in the right mailbox. So if you're interacting with, with one of your representative, representatives, either one of your two senators or your person in the House of Representatives, someone in that office is keeping count. And this, you know, the squeaky wheel does get, you know, the grease. So I do think that understanding that all the emails are counted, all the phone calls are counted and they're put into like a category or whether it's a certain bill that you're advocating for um, or you're responding to like a professional organization and like a form letter, those do count. And the more of us that do that, we have, there's power in numbers. And so um, I would say definitely encourage people to either send the form email, draft an email for them that they can um, adjust, just like Allison said. And then also um, going ahead and crafting social media posts with graphics that say, have, you know, three or four different messages and, you know, sending them out and saying, you know, please, you know, share these within your own professional network. Um, those things do help. I think we w I wish that more people would do the work, but I do think that we there are a lot of people who will share and retweet for and, and help us, but maybe they just um, don't have the confidence or the skill set um, to kind of craft their own message and do the graphics, but they will retweet for you. So I think it's a matter of figuring out where where other where other people are and what their comfort level is, and then having a multi pronged approach to move something forward like safe staffing. And that is one that I would tell you, looking at the history of all the federal, you know, all the Congresses that has been an issue forever. And so I think that as nurses, if we're going to actually move that federal legislation forward, we need to have a really good understanding of the players and who the lobby, who are opposing people are and come up with a, you know, an advocacy strategy that's going to work and get attention. And yeah, same for nursing homes, not just acute care. For both. <laughs> right. Sorry, there's, oh, sorry, Kathy. Uh, there's so many ways for nurses to get involved um, in politics, in advocacy work, in policy. You know, and I'm a huge advocate of 
you know, you just have to like show up and whether that's showing up to vote, whether that's showing up to make phone calls send emails and text messages, showing up to knock on doors, like there's so many ways to get involved. And I want to just um, ask about because there's a really cool, innovative new way for healthcare providers and nurses to get involved. And that's um, vote ER. So Allison, I know that we talked briefly about this the other day. Do you want to talk a little bit about what Vote ER is and um, why it's so um, so innovative and cool in um, its crossing of boundaries between healthcare and um, voting or voter registration? Yeah, and, and this might be a tool, Kathy, if you're, you're, you might be already familiar with it, and it's not so much about getting the nurses to do the connecting, but it, it does involve healthcare professionals helping others getting connected to to their civic civic duty and being civically engaged. So voter ER, I learned about it through in a meeting. Um, it, it basically integrates voter registration uh, into healthcare delivery systems. So um, I think I, I forgot how much I paid, but um, you pay a very small fee, like $5. And um it, it you wear you get like a lanyard with a QR code and essentially if you're in the hospital um, you can hang it on your badge um, I wear it around my my work badge um, and if you were working with patients and engaging um, uh, around um, you know their healthcare needs or whatnot and if the moment is good you can um, you know actually have the patient scan the QR code and they just answer a couple questions like you know zip code and whatnot. And it would help show them like who their representative is um, and and give them important information about um, um, yeah just just who 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 are their representatives and so it's it's a tool um, that I thought it's 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 very simple it's low tech and from the perspective of it being a badge uh, but it's made to be used easily and at the bedside so that it can connect the healthcare provider and give them tools and training to bring sort of the, the civic engagement to the bedside uh, and help people um, register to vote and learn more about, you know, policy um, and especially health policy, because it, it legitimately influences everyone, especially if you're receiving care in, in a hospital or clinic. Um, and uh, I believe there's like 500 hospitals and clinics um, and over, uh, over 200 national partners um, that are part of of this uh, of this initiative. I think the American Nurses Association is one of the partners, and uh, it's helped over 50,000 patients um, uh, around the country um, get ready to vote. Yeah, and if folks want to learn more about Vote ER, we did have them on the Amplify Nursing podcast in season three, so you can go to our. Uh, website at nursing.upenn.edu slash Amplify Nursing Podcast, and you can listen to their episode and learn more. So do we have any other questions or comments for Allison and Melissa from our listeners? Angela, any other comments from you but while, before we wrap up? No, I think this was fantastic, and I really appreciate the work that both of you are doing to engage nurses in participating in uh, policy. 
So, Melissa and Allison, just um, before we close, why, just, you know, as a closing thought or statement, can you talk about, can you just say why you think nurses should get involved in civic engagement and, and or policy work and one uh, way, one concrete way that they can get involved? So, Melissa, why don't we start with you? Okay. Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you guys for having the Amplify Nursing platform and for having Alice and I join you this, this evening. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I would say that there are so many things out there that relate to health that nurses touch every day from housing to transportation, you know, to public spaces and built environments so that people can get out and exercise. And, you know, everyone see, lives in the different part of this great country and everyone sees things from a different lens and but all of us I think are connected with our vision to promote the health of of Americans and so it takes all of us um, to do that and I think looking locally um, as well as you know at your state level and and then at the national level for ways to engage um, to influence policy I think it is important so that if, whether that's joining your state nurses association, um, which then you can join the American nurses association just to be informed and then looking for opportunities like um, this session tonight to learn more. Um, I've never heard of vote ER. So I think that's awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. Um, Cause you can always pick up one little nugget and you never know six months from now, it could, it could come in really handy and help you make an impact for your own community. So I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, and on, on my end, um, I think starting at a just very philosophical take home message is, you know, sort of by definition and my definition of policy is, you know, policy is a statement about what we value um, and, and what we're willing to pay for, right? And so how as a country we spend money, um, how, how as a person you spend your money, but speaking more on the macro level, um, um, it says a lot about what we value. And so as nurses um, coming together in our individual groups or through uh, advocacy platforms, professional networks, or as individuals, um, we, we, we must and have to um, communicate to legislators what we value, right? How, how to spend the not infinite number of dollars that we have in order to improve the things that we care about most. And, and that can be in, in the healthcare uh, system um, and that can be just on a societal cultural uh, level um, with all the examples that Melissa illustrated. So that for me is a big picture. How you actually do that, I think um, Kathy, you know, kind of highlighted this, like at the very you know, base level, you want to be a registered voter you want to engage in every voting uh, cycle and every voting opportunity you can uh, on a state level, on a federal level. Um, you want to know who represents you um, and, and follow the issues that they're, they're working on. Um, and then if you want to take it you know, a notch up, you, you participate actively in those professional organizations that will be a direct connect to um, you know, whether it's issues through uh, about nursing or issues on a, a more social, uh, social determinants of health level, uh, but will give you experiences and a how to to be a, vet, a better advocate um, for for people um, working in Congress. Um, 
And and lastly, I would say, you know, run for Congress. <laughs> that would be the sort of ultimate thing that, that you could do. I know maybe that's not the most practical advice, but I think there is a very, very big need to have professional diversity in in, in the bodies that represent us. And uh, nurses, we have a few nurses, uh, but we certainly could use more. Uh, there's a lot of nurses running uh, for state legislature too. And so maybe if it's not for a legislative position, maybe think about running for a council or a leadership position in your own community. Um, I think taking a step towards that as, as a, a nurse, but also as a person with the lived experience of delivering healthcare, um, just will help improve um, um, our world and our, our culture and our society tremendously. So um, I, hope, I hope that's helpful. Uh, I usually also say read the news, but I think in these times it can be really overwhelming. So then maybe just pick one source <laughs> to stay informed, as Melissa said. But um, but yeah, I, I find the way to feel engaged um, and stick to it and be be fiercely committed to that to that avenue. I think that's great advice all around, and I, I really appreciate both of you sharing your experience with us today. Yeah, thank you both for joining. Really, um, this was just an incredible conversation. So really appreciate it. For our audience members, please remember to subscribe to the Amplify Nursing Podcast on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you do your podcast listening. We're going to be launching season six in September. Um, you can listen to our past episodes on any of those platforms. And again, on our website at uh, pen at a nursing.upen.edu slash innovation. Until next time, Angela. Um, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. Cool. Thank you all for listening. Thank you again, Dr. Hernandez and Dr. Batchelor for talking with us today. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.